Hello again, Gator Nation, and welcome to the official Todd Golden has been hired as the Florida Gators men's basketball coach episode of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. Yes, it is our Todd Golden has been hired as the Gators head men's basketball coach episode, and that just feels awesome to be able to say. So that means we will talk about the hire itself in a lot of detail. We will talk about why we think he was hired. We'll talk about what we think he can do differently and more specifically better than Mike White did at Florida. And we'll talk about the program expectations that have always been in place for Gator basketball, but but we'll restate them now as a new leader steps into the throne of the program. I'm your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at All Kinds Weather and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. For the first time this year, yeah, for the first time in 2022, I am joined by both Casey Hampton and Dustin Smith. You can follow Casey on Twitter at Gator underscore ATL and Dustin at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. And we have a show today that's very special for several different reasons. First and foremost, it's the first time Dustin and Casey have been on with me since December. Casey's a really busy guy. I mean, we all are, but he's really busy. So that's great to have him. Second, Florida has a new men's basketball coach. This is one of the big four sports at Florida, along with football, baseball, and softball. And a coaching change in one of those big four sports is something that, if you're doing things right, only happen once every couple decades or so but even if you're not doing things right still only happen every few years or so uh point is it's a very momentous occasion that will shape the program for years and possibly even decades to come and third of all this is the pod where the in all kinds of other brands coverage of gator men's basketball begins to shift i think y'all notice the difference immediately and the difference is We're excited about Gator basketball now. We have a lot to talk about with this program, and I don't want to give too much away about our thoughts on him in this little prelude segment, but there's excitement about this program now. There's real, genuine, non-forced, authentic excitement about Gator basketball now, and and that that just feels so great. Um, and we'll get into that momentarily, but first got to shout out our partners slash sponsors. As always, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of y'all who might be newer listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans, uses those donations to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game, all expenses paid. That's right. We'll pay for flights, for rental cars, for hotels game tickets, gear, and we'll just generally make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. We are looking to send someone to the swamp in 2022. We have announced that it is going to be for the Missouri game on October 8th. That will be the game that we will be doing this for. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor, please reach out to us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. We are also looking for donations to donate to our cause. Please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com and click on the donate button. And while you're on the website, you can also look around the site and see the campaigns that we've done in previous years. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. 
whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. You can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it is run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and their rates, go to stingraybranding.com. So with that taken care of, we finally have Dustin and Casey together on the pod. Guys, uh, first of all, hello. Good to have you both back on the pod together. How have you been? And are you guys ready to talk some basketball? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Mike White's gone, so uh, life is good. Life is good. He's gone, and he is now at arguably, potentially, Florida's um, biggest rival, uh, at least in some sports they are. Uh, his goal at Georgia will be to make them our biggest rival again, so you know, got to at least respect them for as long as he's there as a program. Anyway, I think the first point of discussion here should be a very quick look back at the Mike White tenure, not to beat a dead horse so much, just as to talk about some of the things he did that we really didn't like. And and y'all listening, we'll see where this is going, a couple of topic points down the road. But beyond the losses, beyond the results, beyond the fact that he just didn't he didn't win enough games. What specifically did Mike White do that you guys were not fans of? First of all, it's great to be back with you guys. Um, my work schedule has been kind of crazy, so it's back. It's great to be back with you guys. But you know, Mike White was a class act in the way that he handled himself and the way that his family handled themselves, and the manner in which that he navigated the program that did not end up in the area that the female women's basketball program ended up in, um, which we can say that for a whole nother pod, but he just didn't understand the expectations that come with being Florida's basketball coach. And I'm not going to say Florida is a blue blood program, but Florida is better than losing to Texas Southern. Florida is better than losing to Oral Roberts. Florida is better even though they went to the final four that year, they're better than losing to Loyola Chicago at home. They're better than waiting two years for his first win over Vanderbilt. He just didn't understand the metrics and didn't understand the expectations. And I think realized that he was in over his head and that's why he accepted the Georgia job because let's be honest. I know Pat Dooley said it a couple of weeks ago. He does at Georgia, what he did at Florida, they will go to statue for him there. Because that making the NCAA first round is a big deal for them. Whereas for us, that's 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 the baseline, right? And you need to get past the first weekend. And Mike White only did that once in seven years. So we'll delve deeper into it, but I think it was a clean break and I think it was appropriate for all parties concerned. Yeah, I mean, either, either he didn't understand, I'll let Dustin go next, but... I'll, I'll point out that either he didn't understand what the expectations were at Florida or he just fundamentally, molecularly was not capable of getting it to the level it was. He may have understood them, but he, he just could not get it there. It very much reminded me of somebody like 
Will Muschamp. That we can say Will Muschamp, we can go on and on and on about Will Muschamp and everything else, but Will Muschamp ran a clean program. Will Muschamp, I think, truly valued the position that he was in, but he didn't understand it. He was in over his head. And I think that's what Mike White ran into. So, Dustin, what do you think? So, guys, I know that we already kind of hashed the Mike White era in a previous podcast. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to that, um, be sure once you're done with this episode, um, if you desire to listen to that recap of the Mike White era, go ahead and do that. Um, As Casey mentioned, Mike White is an excellent uh, top-of-the-line guy. Uh, somebody that um, I, I had no complaints with in terms of uh, his personality, his his uh, his impact on the uh, the members of the U- the university athletic association, um, the members of the basketball team, um, and I, I think really really what it comes down to is it comes down to consistency. Um, Florida was not a consistent basketball team. And this is what I mentioned in the last pod. And this is what I'm going to mention in this one. Mike White was not uh, producing a consistent product on the court. We would beat teams that we probably were, uh, we probably were expected to lose to. And then we would play opponents that we, that we were clearly the better the better team. And all we had to do was show up and play the brand of basketball that a consistent Florida Gator team would produce. And we flubbed it up for lack of a better phrase. And, you know, I could go in, I could go into metrics. I could go into um, turnover uh, efficiency or um, offensive efficiency. Look at turnover um, metrics, uh, you know, adjusted turnover metrics, looking at, you know, where does the turnover take place? Is it in transition? Is it, um, you know, is it, is it, is it near basket rebounding? And really what it comes down to is it comes down to consistency because you could go through every metric and the, the, the Mike White supporters, um, and I'm not going to use the term that Neil does not saying I I don't agree with it, but um, (laughs) I'm just going to say this. You can cherry pick games and you can look at uh, matchups and I'll, and I'll get into specifics in just a little bit. Um, but you could go and you could, you could cherry pick games and find incredible efficiency. You could cro- you could find um, turnover numbers that were nom- that were fine, you know, 10, 15 turnovers a game rather than more than 20, you know, you could, you could cherry pick games and you could find games that Mike White did a good job. But then you could go to other games and that are way out of left field, and you could find and say, "Hey, that is a game that Florida should have played significantly better than, but they were not playing the Florida brand of basketball." And we'll get into we'll get into uh, Coach Golden. But one thing I'm very excited about him is his desire for a consistent product on the court. He's intentional about producing a consistent product on the court. Well, and I'll take that just one step further before we move on, since I wasn't able to join the Mike White pod. You know, it wasn't <clears> – <throat> Dustin makes a very good point that consistency w- was a problem. But 
if you look at seven years, he continually backslid, backslid year after year after year. So from the Elite Eight in 2017, he never went beyond that. And it would go to either we would make it into the second, the round of 32. I mean, we would make it into the second game, not out of the first weekend. And then this year we didn't even make it at all. And it's like, at what point do you need to hire a new strength and conditioning staff? At what point do you need to change your play calls? At what point do you need to change your lineup? I mean, it's just the excuses that the people that defend Mike White were willing to give until eventually it got to Florida's not a blue blood and we just need to accept that. It's like, Jesus, like what else do these people like need to see? I mean, there, it, it, the lack of consistency that Dustin mentioned was absolutely on point, but the lack of progress. Sure, we get these five-star recruits. Will Muschamp had five-star recruits. He did nothing with them. Mike White did nothing with them to the point where we had a five-star recruit decommit after Mike White was fired. And I'm like, if you want to play for Mike White or Mike White was the make or break, go on with your bad self. Like, go on and live a three-star life with the five-star rating. I, I wish, I wish him and his family nothing but the best. But I am really happy that we're finally turning the page to something less mediocre, less predictable, and less stubborn than what Mike White had to offer. Well, all right, Casey, I, I do have to shoot back on one thing. There's, there, there, there's very little of what you just said that I disagree with. Uh, the one thing I will absolutely clap back with is Duke Werner and Preston Green are generally considered to be two of the best strength staffers in the country. They, they go back to the days uh, with Billy Donovan. They were the guys who primed the, the, the four straight Elite Eight teams that Florida had with Billy. They were the ones that worked with them in the offseason. They were, they were not the reason why, for example, Isaiah Stokes just never did anything. At, at Florida. They were not the reason why, why Florida did not just fundamentally could not rebound the basketball under Mike White. That's, I'm just, that was, I'm just saying with all of the injuries, because Mike White defenders will be the first to say, well, he got dealt a bad injury hand. Okay. Well, why are they getting injured in the first place? We can talk about that in a, in, in another pod. It's just the excuses that kept piling up. For Mike White, I wish I had somebody to defend all of the mistakes that I've made in my life, like some people were willing to go and die in the proverbial hill with defending Mike White. Well, okay, sure, fair. Um, I Dustin did not want to use the term that I like to use. I do not care about hurting their feelings, so I will use it. The mid-major microphones are very, very different than the people who said, look, give him another year or two. He is in his seventh year, but just give him an eighth year. And then, you know what? If year eight doesn't get significantly better, okay, I'm with you. Fire him. There's a big distinction between those two groups. Not everyone who did not want him fired in year seven was of that, was, was of that ilk. So I, I want to just lay that out there. Um, okay, so for me, the real, the real disdain for Mike White – as a coach, again, not personal, not as a person, strictly as a basketball coach, the disdain for him, for me, 
came from the fact that so many of his moves seem to be so haphazard and, and random. Uh, perfect example. There's a girl on Florida's volleyball team named Thayer Hall, a really good volleyball player at that. Her brother, PJ, just so happened to be a really good basketball player at forward. What I wanted Mike White to do, what White should have done, was offer PJ Hall a scholarship spot in his class and then recruit him, recruit him, and recruit him until he took it. Yes, I know he's from South Carolina. There's no guarantee that he takes the scholarship. His sister there undoubtedly would have helped with the recruiting process, and Florida would have gotten a very good forward for Mike White's recruiting efforts. Mike White goes, nah, takes the lazy approach. That's too much work. I want an answer now. I want that scholarship spot filled now. I want to offer it to someone who's going to accept it now. So he offers the scholarship spot to a kid named Osai Osifo, who I'll be, you know, keep it respectful, keep it real. I'm sure he's a great kid. I'm sure he did the best he could do. I, I do recognize and appreciate that. He he just was not cut out to be an SEC caliber forward. And it's, again, not personal. It's just that simple. He just he just wasn't good enough. He's not big enough. He's not fast enough. He couldn't finish. He, he just could not cut it at the SEC level. And eventually, he transfers out, predictably enough. And meanwhile, P.J. Hall goes to Clemson, averages 15.5 points a game, and just under six rebounds a game, and he's up for all ACC contention. And it's stuff like that. I mean, just look at the past year's team as another example of the haphazardry where you just slap a bunch of transfers together from UMKC, from Charleston Southern, from Boston College, from Penn State. Admittedly, one good one from Michigan joins them, but you slap this random collection of transfers together and expect them to produce. And they can and it wasn't and it wasn't like he wasn't recruiting well. I mean, honestly, I well, mean, no, they were supposedly high level transfers. He just, but I'm talking about just recruitment out of high school not just transfers he could recruit on paper it's just he could never put two and two together and i would ask the mike white supporters why are you willing to accept either not appearing in the tournament or making an exit in the first weekend because quote unquote florida hasn't ever been a historic powerhouse well you know what a guy made us into that so why can't we expect more? And it's, I, I don't know what hold Mike White had on people. I don't understand the the attitude that we need to accept less because I'm a Gator, and if you don't support the coach, you're a bad Gator. Okay, well, Casey, well, you're talking past tense now. In fairness, this was an attitude that a lot of Gator fans had. I think now we are There all... was just a vocal minority. There is a yes, vocal absolutely. minority that is very – and I'm I'm looking at you, Art Vandelay, on Twitter. Don't even mention the guy's name. He's... I'm looking at you that there just wasn't a time that the mind was not going to be changed. Okay, a couple things. Number one, new rule. We do not mention party clowns on this pod. That Ma Gators guy, that at Ma Gators with the, with the eight TRs guy you mentioned is, is not a sane, rational human being. He is a party clown who bonks himself in the head with an inflatable hammer and goes, doy, 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 get, 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 get
with, with, with the intention of, of making his audience laugh for no other purpose. And like a party clown, his audience is a group of misfit children who are not capable of constructing arguments beyond the level of kindergarten. So no more mentioning people whose sole purpose is to serve as an argument of why Twitter should require an IQ test in order to create an account. So the hell with him and the hell with the rest of the mid-major microphones who think just like him. They are not the people who listen to this pod and they are not the people we gear our content to. Second, Mike White's recruiting was all over the place. That's the point I was making. Sometimes, yes, he was recruiting well. Trey Mann, Scotty Lewis, uh, Omar Payne, Kerry Blackshear, you want to go back a few years, Kenyon Barry was a great take on the resale market. All very good, if not great, takes on the recruiting trail. But then you have Osai Osifo, Isaiah Stokes, Quez Glover, Gorjak Gak, who uh, – were not. Let's just say that. They were not great takes. So the guys who were not good takes predictably did nothing of value because keep it respectful, but keep it real. Those are not the guys who belong on rosters of teams that expect to compete for SEC titles and final fours. And then the guys that were good takes, going back to my initial point, everything White did as the CEO of the program was just so random. There didn't seem to be a a real rhyme or reason behind most of his decisions. And that inability to CEO a program resulted in guys who were good takes, just not producing at the level that they were expected to. And it's stuff like, like, like it almost felt like, like white was making decisions by throwing darts at a corkboard or just picking out of a hat. And, and that goes for everything from uh, th- th- that goes for his takes on the recruiting trail that goes for set plays. He'd call in games, that goes for the lineup he'd go with in a given game, for substitutions he'd make, for whether to go with a zone or a man defense. It just felt like every decision he made was made by a random number generator. And you, you just can't do that for reasons that should not need to be explained. You just cannot run a program that way. And let the record state that sometimes when you do that, when you do make decisions randomly, you will stumble upon the right decision. Sometimes by acting randomly, you will hit, you will be successful. You will call the right set play. You will make a good substitution. You will do the right thing. You will use the right lineup. A lot of times you will not. That's, you know, hence why I say it's random because there didn't seem to be any pattern of learning or or growing on his part. There wasn't any upward trend as he got more experience and went deeper and deeper into his tenure of him being more successful. In fact, the opposite was true. He, he got worse at it. Um, but the law of averages states that, yeah, you know, sometimes he is going to call a nice set play. He is going to make a nice substitution. He is going to spring a nasty box and one on an opponent that's not expecting it. Sometimes he will do that. It's the fact that more often than not, and most importantly, at critical junctures, he would not do that. But um, anyway, that that's that's enough of that. Um, we, we are talking about Todd Golden on this pod. So, uh, guys, we good to move on? I just – I just <laughs> – don't understand it and we can move on because i think we need to talk about yeah todd well, golden and we've i we wish mike white the best except when he plays florida 
Uh, no, I'm, see, I'll I, push back on that. I don't wish him the best. I, I hey, wish him good I, health. I, I don't I wish, wish him I good do health. I as... wish ill on another human being. No, of I course not. That, of course I hope not. that he enjoys his life in Athens. Okay, sure. Um, I hope he goes 2-29 and 29 every year. I, I hope he loses games and gets fired in disgrace. He's coached. He's getting paid money to beat us. He's getting paid to make the University of Georgia a problem for the University of Florida in basketball when it already is a problem in football, in softball, in gymnastics, recently baseball, and uh, several other of the so-called minor sports. Tennis, they're a problem for us. He's getting paid to make Georgia basketball into a problem for the but University look, of Florida. If Mike, White, if Mike White does that, you can take a – Video of me in a red and black tutu dancing across Peachtree Street in Atlanta. I'm if just he saying, brings Casey. them If he actually brings them to prominence on a consistent basis, I don't think he's going to do that. I think he took the escape hat, the escape hatch that was offered to him. I think he took the coward's way out. But again, I I, I wish him nothing but happiness in his life. But let's just turn the page. To, yep. we've got a new coach yes we and do and let's talk let's talk about that neil let's yeah let's, let's do it let's move let's, on let's do it let's talk about todd golden the san francisco coach for the last three years an assistant at san francisco for the three years before that the couple of years before that he was an assistant at auburn under bruce pearl he was actually the one responsible for getting chuma okiki and jared harper to auburn for those who question his recruiting skills uh, but anyway, we'll talk about the various things he does and doesn't do shortly. But first and foremost, the hire, the hire itself. And I guess I should ask it two ways. Uh, so two-part question. One, what did we initially think of the hire? And two, it's been a couple of weeks for us to digest it. So now a couple of weeks after the hire was made, what do we think? You know, my view, I'd never heard of the guy, honestly. Uh, it came out of left field. And I know that a lot of people had different names that they wanted to hire. And anybody that wanted to bring Rick Bettino to Gainesville, just, just stop and don't go there again. You know, today I watched the movie Moneyball on... Netflix just because it came up and you know my brother who listens to this podcast really loves Moneyball and it really reminded me of Todd Golden because he is an analytics driven coach he cares about the numbers he cares about what the numbers mean and how they translate uh he cares about why they're important and how to build from that you know and how I feel um, San Francisco ended a 23-year NCAA tournament drought this year. And we look at his record at 57 and 36, but he's playing in a conference with Gonzaga and with St. Mary's, two of the most successful mid-major programs out there, um, and lost to Murray State in overtime uh, this year. So, you know, I think looking at how he looks at the game, not just – auto-benching players with two fouls in the first half, right? Because first half minutes are just as valuable as second half minutes. And looking at open threes are a priority, but if we look at mid-range jumpers for some players that are preferable to set back contested threes, just looking at things in his game that Mike White basketball was predicated on living and dying by the three. 
and looking at the assists, which comparing Mike White was in an unenviable situation, arguably following Billy Donovan, but the type of basketball that Mike White called where we look at the situation, Neil was that four or five years ago against South Carolina that we lost on a half court press defense when we should have been playing prevent defense. Oh, you mean the walk-off dunk from Chris Silva? Correct. Correct. I was in his fourth year. So that won't happen with Todd Golden um, because, you know, looking at tracking deflections and defensive rotation errors. So looking at when he's, when the team is on defense, he's going to use those analytics, those numbers in that film to correct the defensive errors. You need to be a player's coach, and Mike White clearly was a player's coach, but you also need to be a coach that can call a winning play and learn from a mistake that happens that I don't think Mike White was willing or able to do. Um, And, you know, when I say willing and able, those are two different things, right? This year, San Francisco finished number 22 overall in, in the net, right? So when you think about it, he's going against St. Mary's, he's going against Gonzaga and Murray State. Those are difficult mid-major programs. And for a program that had not been to the NCAA tournament in 23 years, that's impressive what he did. No, he's not going to be the splashy, you know, head coach hire. And we, we know the Murray State coach went to LSU, so we're going to learn very quickly just by virtue of having to play LSU. We're going to know who the better hire is because Florida and LSU are going to play on the court. So, right. That the splashy hire that the Florida, that a lot of the Florida faithful wanted, we didn't make that, but I think we made the analytics and data driven hire that really is going to be the money ball, but it's going to be Gator ball, Gator money ball. Um, with him at the helm. So, Dustin, I would love to hear what your thoughts are uh, on Coach Golden. Yeah, well, you know me. I, I love I love story, um, and the the, the really the storyline with Todd Golden. And I know we're gonna we're gonna kind of get a little bit more into kind of our first impressions um, versus the impression that we got when we started doing research, um, but. I mean, you mentioned LSU, and you mentioned that they they got Coach uh, McMahon from Murray State. Now, contextually, you think about this NCAA tournament uh, game. Which, first off, you got you got to give a big congratulations to the San Francisco program led by Todd Golden this past year, and their uh, big opportunity and their their big accomplishment in making the big dance. You have this game, this matchup. Murray State wins. It's an amazing game. If I'm not mistaken, it either comes down to the wire or it goes to overtime. Um, Both. And yeah, goes to overtime. I think that this, the final score was like 91 to 87 or thereabouts. Um, and while this game is happening, the the big inside information that I've been hearing up to that point is that McMahon is the main target that the Gators are looking at. Now, this is not 
inside information from the UAA. This is more um, pundits and prognosticators from um, the Gainesville area and stuff. I, I kind of heard back channel from um, the guys that are on the podcast. Um, that, that's, who, that's who I thought Florida was getting. That was the guy that I wanted. Um, Murray State had a great season. They were a seven seed. They, they had lost, I think they lost three games um, up until their, their fourth loss in the tournament um, when they got knocked out the, the following game. But, I mean, you got you to look at that. And then, you, and then Murray State wins, and the, the team that loses to Murray State loses to the coach that we want, um, and we being a lot of people wanted McMahon. Then we get Golden, and at the time – it really felt like a it felt like a rushed move. It felt like something that it felt like we missed out on our first guy and we had to settle for second best. But boy, once I started doing research, once I started to look into Todd Golden, once I started to um, take off my uh, emotional Florida Gator fan, orange and blue glasses hat and then put on my um, sporting nerd hat on. I fell in love with Todd Golden, the basketball coach. Everything that we were missing from an X's and O's standpoint, everything we're missing from a consistency standpoint, everything we're missing from an uh, in-game situational coaching standpoint, okay, we are gaining with Todd Golden. So, Neil, you know how much I love um, analytics. You know how much I love um, different websites. Uh, I, I know that, um, you know, I get, I get uh, people kind of, you know, bomb on me for this, but I love the ESPN BPI. I love football season. I love FPI, uh, but I love Ken Palm. So real quick, I want to just go through a comparison with some of the major metrics on Ken Palm. And what I love about Ken Palm is what Ken Palm, what, what Ken Palm desires to do is it looks at the statistics, um, particularly in the, in the efficiency department. Um, and efficiency is important because efficiency is the reason why teams that are less talented um, have the ability to upset teams that are more talented. It is, the, it is the ability to take a possession, whether it's a defensive possession or an offensive possession, and turn it into, um, in the case of offense, turn it into points. Or in the case of defense, turn it into some sort of turnover, whether that's um, a missed shot and rebound or an actual turnover in the sense that you're taking the ball from your opponent. That's what efficiency is. So I'm going to compare Florida and I'm going to compare San Francisco. Now, you're probably asking, why the heck are you comparing two teams in, in two different conferences? Well, the beauty about Ken Palm is they, the algorithm that they use actually seeks to um, balance uh, the metrics um, and their efficiency ratings based on strength of schedule. So basically what Ken Palm is saying, if these teams played equal schedules – what would their efficiency look like? So you have an adjusted efficiency margin. San Francisco is 23rd in the country, okay? And to put it in perspective, 
um, 23rd in the country is right up there um, with the likes of uh, San Diego State, LSU, Memphis, Michigan, who made a pretty good run in the tournament, um, Texas, Purdue. These are these are major. These are teams that, that may have gotten knocked out a little bit earlier in the tournament, um, but these are teams that that really uh, were um, that really had a good season. Um, I mean, Florida was 60 in the country in, in Ken Palm. That's that that number right there is is one of many numbers that tell me why they didn't make the tournament. Um, you have adjusted offense. Uh, this is the only one where there's even a, a closeness. Um, San Francisco, 43rd, uh, Florida, 46. But the one that I want to focus on, defense. San Francisco is 27th in the country, and Florida was 79th in the country in defensive efficiency. And you, you, you want to talk about offense, but the, the, the lack of defensive efficiency for the Gators killed Florida this season. You look at the two games against Kentucky. Okay, you look at, you look at the, the losses we had to LSU. Okay, you look at these, these games, Florida could have had a, had a better showing, but they were not efficient defensively. And, you know, I could go on and on and on and on. There's, there's, tens of, there's tens of metrics that Ken Palm uses, but you keep on comparing the two teams, and it's not even close. And it all goes back to the coaching and the, the planning and the analytics that, that, uh, that Todd Golden brings to the table. So, yeah, I mean, numbers and analytics are definitely the reasons why Florida went after him. Um, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. First, I, I have to say that I am I'm pretty surprised at the stage of the search in which Florida hired him. Um, fun fact, I was actually working on choice number five of my list of hires uh, when Todd Golden was actually announced as the coach. And number five on my list was actually Kyle Smith at Washington State. Uh, num number one was Andy Anfield. Number two was Scott Drew. Uh, number three was Dana Altman of Oregon. Number four was Matt McMahon. Number five was Kyle Smith. And Smith is known as, as one of the kings of, of basketball money ball. He's the super crazed, ultra deep dive analytics guy. And I mean, he's, he's at Washington State. He'd been at San Francisco. He'd been at Columbia. He was the teacher, so to speak, of Todd Golden. But he had some big time experience and he had those analytics to go along with it. So I thought, okay, you know, th this would not be a splash hire, but at least there's some power six experience there. Washington State to Florida is a fairly decent jump, but it's not a gargantuan intergalactic sort of jump. Um, and we'll have to be patient with him, but the analytics are there. I like that. I'm a numbers guy, as is Dustin, so I can I can jump on board this. Let's, you know, if, if he is the guy, I'll, you know, full full steam ahead with him. Instead, while I'm writing that article, Strickland goes out and hires his acolyte in Todd Golden, who's 16 years younger and 16 years less experience as a result. And this is five days after Mike White, quote unquote, leaves for Georgia. And that tells me that Golden was among the first choices on Strickland's board if he was not the first choice, which, I mean, I'm not saying Scott Drew or Dana Altman would take the job if they're offered, but 
I mean, come on, let, let's, let's at least try. Let, let's, let's at least make an attempt at him. The fact that five days after White leaves for Georgia, the deal is already struck tells me that Golden was number one on his list or if at least very close to it. As, as Dustin was saying, Matt McMahon was also, was also there. Uh, some, some rumblings that maybe he and Strickland did not really see eye to eye on some things. We'll just, we'll just leave it there. Um, but I mean, look, maybe Todd Golden turns into Billy Donovan 2.0, wins multiple national titles, and Strickland looks like a genius. Certainly possible. There's also the possibility that he flops and flames out, the possibility that we don't want to talk about, but does even worse than Mike White did. And we can't know that because this guy is 36 years old. So definitely a lot of risk involved. And to, to go after a guy so early in the search process with such risk attached to him, kind of kind of struck me as a little odd but um so you know I, I was a little perturbed by hiring him so quickly but then i did more research on him and i gotta say i'm starting to like him and you know of course that's natural to a degree because the alternative is just to be perennially miserable without a solid reason to be reasonable that doesn't help anyone but Doing deep dives into his time as a coach, I'm starting to like what I see. And I'm trying my best to ignore the fact that in three years at San Francisco, he's one game above 500 in the West Coast Conference. Anyway, I start doing research on him, start watching some tape of his teams, start reading articles about him. And it becomes a thing where, well, okay, I like this one thing he does. Hmm, yeah, that, 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 that concept makes sense. Oh, I like that set play he runs. Oh wow, he's 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 got the guy driving to draw the defense, and he kicks it out for a three. There's a screen there. Oh, I like that. Oh, he'll he'll play guys with two fouls in the first half. Okay, I agree with that. Oh, he believes in fouling with a three point lead with eight seconds or less in the game or in overtime. Hmm. Okay, I believe in that too, especially especially after watching mid major Mike get burned two different times with the opposite strategy. First by Wisconsin's Zach Showalter in 2017 Sweet 16, then by Virginia Tech's Naheem Alain in 2021's first round. Okay, so yeah, I believe in that. Oh, he likes taking advantage of two-for-ones at the end of a half for a game? Sweet. I like that. Article after article about his advanced analytics, about how he'll count missed defensive rotations by his players, he'll count blow-bys in the lane, he'll count offensive rebounds per missed shot not just the pure number of offensive rebounds his team pulls down per game, but offensive boards per opportunity for an offensive board, which only happens on a missed shot, how he uses all kinds of data like that to make decisions. And I started to warm up to him, sort of just started to get a feel that he's a smart basketball coach. And Dustin mentions Ken Palm. Dustin, uh, of course, as the numbers guy, uh, even more so than me, loves the Ken Palm rankings. I want to point to one in particular that sticks out to me. His first two seasons at San Francisco, his offense finishes 68th in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency. That's, that's points per possession, measuring how many points you score per opportunities to score. They finished 68th in the country his first year. His second year, they finished 100th in the country. And here is what I really like about him. This is what really sold me on him. So... As I've said many times on the pod and online, uh, two, two of my closest Gator friends, aside from these guys on the pod with me, are Alex Brown and James Houston. And, and I'm friendly with other guys, like I'm friendly with Ben Troop, I'm friendly with Chris Doring, but really those two guys, Houston and Brown, are the guys I really spend lots of time talking ball with. 
And especially with James, I talk, spent hours talking with him about the X's and O's of football defense. I actually was a tight end for one year. I have good knowledge about the offensive side of football, but my forte is the defensive side of football. I've talked with James for hours about all the different sorts of hand placements required for swim and rip moves for defensive linemen off the line, which is how, if you remember when we had Alex Brown on the pod, I was able to talk to him in pretty good detail about the mechanics of Zach Carter's swim and rip moves because that's my background. That's my area of advanced expertise. That's what I know really, really well. Dustin here, meanwhile, was a quarterback. I mean, he'll be the first to tell you he wasn't an all-state or an all-conference QB, but he was a quarterback for four years in high school. He has that different perspective. He brings that to this podcast. When we talk football on this pod, we could compliment each other and use each other's knowledge to make the overall brand a more knowledgeable and well-rounded football brand. I was not the QB. I do not know everything about every position. That is why Dustin is here. Casey is here because he used to work in academics at Georgia Tech. He's got that personal knowledge uh, of the players' lives off the court or off the field. He can bring that perspective. We each have this different background, this different expertise that we bring, and we fill in the gaps that the other ones on this pod happen to have. Why do I bring that up? Well, because Mr. Golden here is a defensive coach by trade. His mind is defense first, defense second, defense third, defense last. Most of the advanced stats he does or that he's famous for knowing are defense. So after San Francisco goes 68 and 100 in the country his first two years in adjusted offense, he flies halfway across the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii, poaches their assistant coach named Chris Gerlifson, and names him his offensive coordinator at San Francisco, which is an unheard of concept in basketball to have an offensive coordinator. But he does that, and in year three, in Gerlifson's first year at San Francisco, the Dons go from 100 in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency rating to 40, which is a huge leap because he realized, you know what? I need an offensive coordinator. Offense is not my forte. Offense is this other guy's forte, and that is a gap in my knowledge here. It's clearly something we're missing, so I need to go and get someone else who can do that for me. I will continue to do what I am really good at, which is defense. We will work together to make our brand the best it can be. He does that, and guess what? The Dons are in the NCAA tournament for the first time in a quarter century. So that, above all other things, was what made me think, okay, this, th- this guy might be special. Well, and I think, you know, beyond the great numbers that you both just mentioned, Mike White presided over a period in Gator basketball where we saw arguably Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and I'm not quite ready to put Texas A&M in that. I want to see what they do next year, but at least – those five pass Gator basketball and not to mention Florida state. I mean, he only beat Florida state once and that was in his last year. So when we are stuck watching these programs, whether it's through analytics, recruiting, both coaching, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Bruce Pearl comes with a lot of baggage. But you look at somebody like Rick Barnes and what he's built at Tennessee or Nate Oates that quickly put it together at Alabama. Uh, it, 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 
it just it's mind numbing. The fact that we watched all of these programs pass and maybe Todd Golden is going to be that guy that uses numbers to make us a top four program again. I don't understand. I, I don't know how we get any worse because really the teams that were below Florida this year in the conference were bad. I mean, bad, 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 bad. But I'm really hoping if you were to ask me, what are your expectations for Todd Golden or what's a measurable level of evaluation for Todd Golden? Because I've worked in academia, I understand that everything is is based off of metrics and evaluations, right? That's all higher education is. Whether you're a faculty member, whether you're a student, whether you're a university president, it's all about numbers, metrics, and benchmarks. So I think if you were to ask me what's a benchmark, competing and showing progress against other programs that maybe in year one or year two, we don't beat, but year three, we should be competing and beating certain teams, whether that's through recruitment, play calling, whether that's through analytics, whether that's through defensive coverages that need to be pressed versus uh, prevent or vice versa, whether that is having a gator underneath the basket, a big guy. I mean, who's the last big guy that we had, right? Igbunu, maybe? Gorja Gak. <laughs> Neil, put yourself on mute and don't speak again. Because that name is nope. Nope, 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 nope. I'm not even I'm not even dignifying that with a response. Come on, the guy tried his not best. Even, we give him we give him that. Nope, we have nope, to give nope, him credit for nope, that nope, much. Nope. You can go to CC's Pizza with that and enjoy your enjoy your evening. But I mean, Igbunu was the last true big threat that we had under the rim, and I think before that, you can say Patrick Young. But Mike White could not recruit that big man, and in the SEC, you need to have a big man. You have to to be able to force plays to grab offensive rebounds. What Florida has done in offensive rebounding in the past seven years has been nothing short of atrocious. We have not ranked above ninth since 2017 in a conference of 14 teams in offensive rebounding. You can't win games. You cannot win the game if you don't have a ball, the ball in your hand. And I'm really hoping that we can get a big man that's going to be under the rim ready to get that rebound. I'm really hoping we have a coach that can know the difference between press and prevent, which Mike White never could do. I'm hoping we have a coach that doesn't just say, gee, let's fling every three-point shot and hope it sticks, because in some games it did and in some games it didn't. And when it didn't, we were screwed. But more importantly, I'm really hoping I... I can have a coach that can look at Tennessee and say no more, that can look at Florida State and say no, we are restoring order in the state, that can look at somebody like Kentucky and say we are going to take you until the final whistle where it's not over four minutes ahead of the game, that sure, 
we beat number two Auburn, but I don't have to worry that the next game we're going to lose to a South Carolina or a Mississippi State or a Vanderbilt, a team that we have no business losing to. So take away the numbers and the analytics and the metrics that Todd Golden is known for. We've got to change the mindset on the bench that is leading these young men that this argument of the coach doesn't take the shots. No, the coach doesn't take the shots. The coach puts the players in the best place to make the shots. The coach works with the players in practice to draw up the plays and to practice these plays. The coach recruits the players. The coach instills a basketball philosophy. And Mike White was unable to do that. So I think if you were to ask me those measurables, I want to compete against conference and intrastate rivals. I want to progressively see a better performance that if anybody thinks Todd Golden is going to go to the Elite Eight in his first year, you need to temper your expectations. If he does, that's great but you need to temper your expectations because this team by and large is not an elite eight team, especially in a conference that we saw this year with the advent of Arkansas going as far as they did with Tennessee going as far as they did. And we can't say Kentucky. <laughs> All right. But we didn't even look, make it Casey. We can't, we can't do that. I, I, you know, I, I, I think you've got to have a coach that, Maybe not in year one, but in year two, I want to see some progress. I want to see some buy-in from the players. I want to see some not just transfer portal recruiting, but homegrown recruiting. I mean, Billy D, granted, yes, it was before the transfer portal when he was there, but his guys stayed, and they could have gone pro. So, And I like the fact that Todd Golden has already talked to Billy Donovan. Todd Golden has already talked to Gator Legends, Shaquem Noah and Bradley Beal and Udonis Haslam. I like the fact that Todd Golden is already knee-deep in analytics on what worked last year and what didn't, from free throws to pick and rolls that were so easy but missed. And this errant three-point, I'm just going to throw anything up and hope it, hope it goes in. Um, so, you know, I know Dustin had his monologue and Neil had his, and this is mine. I want to see those measurables, not just in year one, but year two, year three, because Gator Nation, this is not going to be an overnight fix. This is not going to be, and if it is, this, and I will be happy and surprised and cheering on this team to the ends of the earth if we get to a sweet 16 or elite eight next year. I don't think we're capable of that right now, but I want to see that progress in year two, year three. So Casey, you lead us into a pretty good place to kind of finish this pod talking about our expectations in, in year one versus year two and year three and beyond, and even just overarching expectations throughout his tenure. Um, one thing I have to make note of before we go there, though, is your point about the mid-major microphones going, uh, he can't shoot for them, so he can't be blamed when his team goes 12% from the field. So just real quick, 
three things about that. Number one, in a vacuum, no. Any game where his team shoots a horrifying percentage from the field was not Mike White's fault and will not be Todd Golden's fault because in basketball, there are just nights where the shots do not fall. That happens to Steph Curry. That's basketball. It just off, off nights happen. It's when it happens repeatedly that it becomes a problem that you, you may fairly pin on the coach. I mean, three times in five games, if the whole team can't shoot more than 25% from the floor, well, that's a problem. And that's where it sort of starts to kind of shift towards the coach's responsibility because that's not an anomaly. And that means the coach either hasn't recruited good enough shooters or the coach slash his assistants are not mechanically sound enough to help the players fix the issues. So again, one, two, three games in isolation. No, it's when you start to see patterns of the team's shooting percentage start to slump over, you know, six, seven, 10, 15 or so games, or in Mike White's case, over the course of multiple seasons, that it becomes an issue that maybe the coach is somewhat responsible for. That's number one. Number two, if he can't shoot for the players, if, if Mike White cannot shoot for the players, or if Todd Golden cannot shoot for the players, and the coach cannot be blamed when the shots don't go down, well, then the inverse is also true, mid-major microphones. And when the shots do go down, the coach cannot be credited. Chris Chioza made that shot at MSG to send Florida to the Elite Eight, not Mike White. Andrew Nemhard made that shot to beat LSU and send Florida to the big dance in White's fourth year, not Mike White. So if you want to play that card going forward, okay, whether it's with Golden or, or Golden's successor or whatever, you want to play that card, okay, but it, it cuts both ways. Always has and always will. And third and most importantly, there, there's so much more that goes into basketball than just the raw shooting percentage, such as are the five guys on the floor moving and cutting? Are they setting screens? Are they moving the ball well? How's their spacing? What kind of quality shots are they putting up? Are they settling for horrible shots? Or are they just getting good looks that, as I kind of mentioned in point number one, just are not going down because it's just one of those bad nights that will happen. And that's where Todd Golden comes in. Because Golden is the one who's going to draw up the good set plays. He made a, a real living of doing that in San Francisco. And yes, they even worked against Gonzaga. So that's how you know there's there's some real brain power there. Not not randomly, like Mike White, who just happened to land on the right moves here and there. Not just sometimes, because that's what the law of averages says will happen when you do operate randomly for a long enough period of time. But Golden will use the sum of the numbers, the sum of the data and the totality of the information at hand to not only decide on a certain set play that frees someone up for a good look, not only decide who his five on the floor are, but to decide who he recruits and offers scholarships to in the first place. And above all else, that is why I am so elated to have Todd Golden as our head coach. He's going to do everything because the numbers, the data, the information that he has collected tells him to do. So now let's take that and move forward. It's going to take a good bit of time, I imagine, for Golden to operate at the level that Florida and Golden expect him to operate at. But guys, ha having said all that, 
Uh, what are you looking to see from Todd Golden's Gators as a, as a general theme, not just, you know, year one results or year two versus year three results, but as an overarching theme of the Todd Golden tenure, what above all else are you looking forward to seeing from his teams? Yeah, I think it comes down to consistency. And what, what, what I mean by consistency, um, I know that, as mentioned earlier, one of my biggest gripes with Mike White was our inability to be consistent at the free throw line and our inability to be consistent in terms of turning over the ball. Um, now, I think, I, I mean, going back and looking at the stats for turnovers, we, we weren't exceptionally awful in terms of the number of turnovers, but it was about when these turnovers occurred. We turned over the ball in critical moments in the game. And good coaching and good teams rise to the occasion during those critical moments in the game. And now you have to give opponents the, the credit in terms of turn, turning over the ball or, or forcing turnovers, I should say, um, from a defensive standpoint. And something that I really love about an emphasis that Todd Golden has is his ability to um, force turnovers and his ability to uh, create um, defensive havoc. Now, I know that uh, th these, these terms are more utilized in, in football, uh, you know, producing turnovers, intercepting the ball, defensive havoc. But basketball is a sport where defense is critical as well. And when you look at, when you look at defense in basketball, and no, Neil, I was not uh, – I didn't play high school basketball. I got cut from my middle school basketball um, attempt – but I did play, and this is kind of, you know, I feel I feel very uh, very vulnerable in saying this, but I did play YMCA basketball, um, and I won a YMCA uh, City of Orlando championship with my my basketball team, and this was I was an eighth grader at the time, um, and so I played basketball, and I was not the the best shooter, I was not the guy who got the ball the whole time. But one thing that I did is I was determined to be the best defensive basketball player on the, on the court. I was determined that when somebody came one-on-one -on, -one on me, they would not get past me. They would not make the basket. And what did I do is all about hands. It's all about where I put my hands. My coach always taught me, put your hands up, get your hands in the face block their vision. Don't, you know, you don't foul them, but make sure they can't see the hoop because if they can't see the hoop, they're more than likely going to miss the, they're going to miss the shot to try to shoot it. So what am I doing? My hands are up and I'm blocking. I'm creating havoc. I'm finding ways to prevent that player from getting an easy basket. And so often with the, the previous regime, we would give up way too many easy baskets. So this is not really something that you can quantify other than Ken Palm with the defensive efficiency, other metrics that try to look at um, points per possession or points given up per possession. But one thing I'm looking at from an, from an eye test standpoint is I'm looking at, I want to see how much havoc are we producing? How, how hard is it for the opponent to get easy shots. And then on top of that, of course, rebounds. Now, something, the last thing I want to say is this. You mentioned LSU and McMahon. We already talked about it. Now, you, you mentioned year three. Year three is going to be interesting because right now, um, LSU is, is 
abjectly they're a better program than Florida right now. Okay, I would say that Todd Golden has a lot more rebuilding to do than Matt McMahon does. So in year one, I would expect Florida to lose to LSU. I'm not going to expect Florida to beat LSU in year one. Year two, you know, if we're playing, I, I, I haven't looked at, I'm not sure if it's available. And if so, I haven't looked at it, but I have not looked at the 2023-2024 um, uh, schedule for basketball. I'm not sure what year two is going to look like. But if Florida does end up playing LSU twice, um, Florida and LSU should split. It should be about even. But year three, I want to see not only is Florida beating LSU, but Florida needs to be beating Texas A&M. Florida needs to be sp at least splitting with Auburn, assuming that Pearl continues to be there. And Florida needs to at least split with Tennessee. And Florida beat South needs, Carolina. And beat, beat South, South Carolina. Carolina. Beat South Carolina. Florida needs to be in that three to four range in the conference. And if they're doing that and they're showing the trend in the right direction, I think by year four and year five, Florida can be pretty special in basketball. I know things are hard. I know this is not, a, this is not the SEC of the mid-2010s when Billy Donovan was still the coach at, at Florida. This is not the SEC of the mid-2000s when Billy Donovan was winning national championships at Florida. But Florida should be, and keyword is should, Florida should be a top two team in the SEC. Okay. It should be Florida and it should be Kentucky. And if you want to throw in a Tennessee, um, or if you want to throw in an Auburn in there because Bruce Pearl is a heck of a coach, go for it. But Florida should be a top two team in the SEC. And that's my expectation. And that's not, that's, that's the expectation that we should have Florida the expectation is championships, and you're not going to do that by being nine or eight or six in the SEC even. I just want to get to a point where Florida is consistently consistently, at least a top four program. A top two program would be great, what Dustin said, but there's no excuse, there's no reason why Florida should not be a top four program in this conference. That right, you're competing against – Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, and give me the fourth team, right? That we're that we're competing with every year to be a top four program. I mean, it's Kentucky, it's Tennessee, it's Auburn, maybe Arkansas, right? I mean, Musselman's done an incredible job over there. Hats off to what he's done, but there's no reason that Florida should not be a top four program consistently. Correct. There is no excuse for the second most prestigious basketball program in the SEC to not be in the top four of the SEC on a consistent basis. And I'm not standing here saying, yeah, Florida's going to make X number of Final Fours. They're going to win Y number of SEC titles. They're going to win Z number of games. I'm not, I'm not doing that because that's not fair. That's not reasonable. That's not rational to do. It, it's too binary. There's too much luck that goes into it. But I, I think now when we're talking about overarching themes uh, and expectations for this program, I, I mean, I think, again, it's a perfect opportunity to just once again restate my, my thesis about Todd Golden. Florida has a basketball coach that 
I, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that, you know, sports keep me up at night. It, they don't, it, it, it's sports. It doesn't affect us in that way. But if, if, if this were something that would keep us up at night, potentially, if it weren't going well, we would be able to sleep well at night, knowing that we now have a coach who is going to do the right things. He's going to make moves that are backed up by data, by actual scientifically crafted statistics and numbers and data. And that is such a welcome change for Florida basketball to have that it's worth saying, you know what? Yeah, those expectations we have, they are, they are reachable. We're not just sitting here watching Mike White, as I, the analogy I used earlier, throwing darts at a corkboard. We're not watching him just pick out of a hat. We're watching a coach strive for these goals by doing what the numbers and data say. And as Dustin and I are numbers people, I, again, I, I can't, I just can't say how incredible that feels to be able to talk about uh, in, in regards to our favorite basketball team. And the last thing I'll say is, as Casey mentioned, no, it's not an overnight fix. It's probably not even a, a two-year fix. I mean, because Mike White has left Koesi Reeves and Niles Lane I, a, a couple of recruits, one of them, Malik Renault, is now gone. He's left Todd Golden with virtually nothing. Maybe a couple of the, of the seniors will come back, but, I mean, Golden's going to have to hit the portal hard, and he's going to have to recruit really hard just to field a team. I mean, we think Billy Donovan left a bad situation for Mike White because they didn't make the tournament his first year. And, and Donovan's last year, there was NBA talent there. He left Mike White, Chris Chioza. He left him his first year, Dorian Finney-Smith. Kayvon Allen and Casey Hill weren't you know, NBA players, but they were pieces of an Elite 18. He left him some real talent there. I don't really think that the Florida's got five players right now that can field a team. So we got to be patient with him, and we have to understand that what we're about to lay out there as our expectations for the program do not apply to his first or second year. So with that said, because I happen to like Todd Golden, because I happen to have real reason to trust him based on previous data, I'm going to echo his goals that he said at his introductory press conference and make them my own. And thanks to mid-major Mike leaving him with a pile of rubble to start his tenure in Florida with, I'm not going to put a win total or an SEC place finish or a specific NCAA tournament round out there as my expectation for this program for the foreseeable future. Moving forward, down the road, sure, of course, we're Florida. If by year four, we're still talking about how to rebuild this program from the ashes that mid-major Mike left it in, okay, now now we have, now you have a problem. And, and it's Todd Golden as a problem, not Mike White. But... Uh, but anyway, so by year three or year four, we can attach these tangible goals and expectations to the program. But for right now, my expectations are the three core expectations that Golden laid out in his introductory pressure. One, play great defense, which to their credit, Florida did sometimes under Mike White. Um, but not just do it sometimes, not just do it two times in five games, but do it consistently. Do it way more often than not. Make it a way of life under Todd Golden to play great defense. Two, rebound the basketball. Golden, I mean, he's going to have to really attack that portal to be good at this in year one. But uh, you know what? Go, go do that. Do it. 
go attack the portal. Let's see what you can do. It's part of the sport now. The portal is there and it's out there for you to utilize. So go ahead and get yourself some big men who can dominate the glass and check that box off. And number three, take care of the basketball. Another thing that sometimes Florida would do under Mike White and sometimes they would not do. And if if someone like Tyree Appleby is turning the ball over six or seven times a game, maybe don't play him. So that that's going to be a combination of coaching and recruiting and portal recruiting for Todd Golden. And all three of these things require two traits that every player can control every time they step on the court, their attitude and their effort, the, the want to of college basketball. So I'm looking for a team that goes all out for Golden and can do these three things consistently because that means he did a good job recruiting in crisis mode, which is, by the way, the hardest recruiting task he will ever have. It'll only be easier for him to recruit than it currently is right now. Uh, but anyway, yes, the wins, the titles, the final fours, absolutely, yes, a thousand percent. Those are the ultimate goals at the top of the mountain. But right now, this program is not even at base camp. So we, we have to table that all for now. We will come back to them. Dustin and Casey and myself, I mean, if it, again, in year three or year four, we've been in the NIT his first two years and we're still talking about rebuilding. Well, now, no, now, now the blame kind of shifts to Todd Golden and we're going to say, you know what? You, you had your honeymoon period. Now you got to start producing something or at least giving us reason to think you can produce something in the near future. But for the foreseeable future, as of right now, my expectation is to see a team that plays great defense, rebounds the basketball, and takes care of the basketball because those things will be early signs that Todd Golden is for real, that he means what he says, and it'll prove that at least to a certain degree, he is capable of turning his plan into action in the SEC at the University of Florida. But once that honeymoon phase is over, the goals and expectations at Florida will be the same that they always have been and always will be at the University of Florida, and that is to compete for SEC titles and Final Fours. Again, as we've said many times before, that does not mean Florida has to win the SEC and reach the Final Four every year or even more years than they do not. It means that they have to be in the running for these things. They have to have teams that are reasonably close to these goals. For example, Mike White's second season where they're 14 and four in the SEC, they're two games out of first place in the league behind Kentucky. They're in the elite eight. They have a very good chance against South Carolina. They, they just can't quite come up with enough shots at the end. Uh, Dwayne notice kind of gets away with about a seven step travel. Uh, Check that box. Fine. Fair enough. Close enough. You, you competed for a Final Four. You competed for the SEC that year. That should be the level of play that we see from the University of Florida basketball team more years than not. Neil, I'm going to chime in. I would have to agree with you. Um, I think we need to be competing for championships, as we mentioned. And I think, I think if you want to further define that, I think Florida should be at minimum a five-seed in NCAA tournament games. Now, obviously, year one, year two, that's probably not going to happen. Um, if we make the NCAA tournament in year one, that'll be a big surprise. If Florida m- makes the NCAA tournament in year two, I think it's possible. 
Um, and I think it'd be excellent for, for Florida to do that. Um, by year three, Florida should be a six, a five or six seed in the, in the NCAA tournament, and that should be the standard moving forward. Because when you're when you're a five seed or better, you give yourself an opportunity to um, make a run. And you know, obviously, uh, fives can get upset by twelves. I mean, we saw what happened to Kentucky with St. Peter's. Twos can get upset by fifteen. But more often than not, if you're a five seed, you're giving yourself a chance, at least in theory, you're giving yourself a chance to get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And that, that means you're in the Sweet 16, and you're, by tournament standards, you're one of the top 16 teams in the country. And that's what Florida should be. Florida should be a top three, top two team in the SEC, and Florida should be a top 16 at minimum team in the country. That's the standard. That's what we need to strive for because when you do that, you give yourself an opportunity to be in Final Fours. You give yourself an opportunity to win championships. Now, you know, you look at teams that are, you know, we're coming up on Final Four weekend. You look, you're looking at the teams that are in. You have North Carolina, an eight seed, okay? You look at uh, Villanova, a two seed. You got Duke, a two seed. And then you have Kansas, a one seed. Okay. These are twos, one seeds. They have an eight seed in North Carolina. North Carolina is a very good eight seed. They, they, had, a, they had a good run. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they win it all. Is it, is it the most likely? Probably not. But anyway, that should be where Florida is, is at. And with, with Mike White, we were probably gone in the first weekend. We had that one uh, Elite Eight run early, early on where, uh, Chris Chioza had that miraculous shot um, against Wisconsin. Great run. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, hate on that at all. But you have to make the argument that that team was set up because of the recruiting that Billy Donovan did, and the uh, the program design that Billy Donovan had coming into that season prior to that. I mean, that was a team that Billy Donovan put together for the most part. You look at. Players like Chris Chioza, Billy Donovan recruit. You go down the list, other players, Billy Donovan recruits. So I'm excited to see kind of how Golden assembles the team and what the Gators are able to do in that year three and year five, or year four or year five. Yeah, Dustin, I mean, you make a good point there, talking about uh, having to assemble the team. Um, obviously, Corey McRae goes into that a little bit. Um, Florida losing Eric Pastrana to Georgia, uh, actually one of the few assistants on on the staff that I, on Mike White's staff that I, I really respected and wished that Todd Golden had retained. He did not do that. Corey McRae, a very nice pickup, having recruited for Ben Howland at previous stops at UCLA and Mississippi State. That's definitely a nice step in that direction. Um, but we'll have a whole offseason to talk about it. Like like I said at the top of the show, this is, uh, the, you know, we in all kinds of weather are genuinely excited for Gator basketball. Now there's reason to talk about it and, and reason to, to talk about it with, with genuine excitement um, as opposed to just being forced to talk about it like we kind of were um, this the past couple of years. But anyway, we're going to actually end the show with Casey's favorite segment, which we actually do for all of our guests, but we're going to do it amongst ourselves now, the lightning round. We're just going to give a couple of words, maybe a, a sentence or two, um, in, in response to each of these following quick questions. You guys ready? Shoot. All right. Yes, sir. 
Todd Golden will win a national championship at Florida if blank. He gets a big man. I'm glad you added if, because if you didn't, then it would be a, a lot harder of a question. But I'm going to echo Casey and say gets a big man. I'm going to say if he recruits elite scorers, because teams can catch on to what he's doing. Um, X knows why he's a very modern coach. We'll call it modern plays. He'll use some modern types of ball screens, but teams can nonetheless figure it out. If he gets elite scorers that can create their own shots and put the ball in the basket, he will be able to ride his team to a national title that way. Okay. Todd Golden will have a top five defense at the University of Florida, either in Ken Palm or you're just, just playing straight up stats. He'll have a top five defense in the country at the University of Florida if blank. We, we establish havoc producing mentality with the, uh, the guards on defense. Casey? I think if he can coach somebody like Kawasi Reeves to be balanced both on offense and defense, um, I think we'll be, we'll be better there. I will say if Florida can rebound the ball and limit opponents' time at the other end of the floor and don't give them second and third and fourth opportunities to score. You get the rebounds, get your offense, the ball back, push in transition maybe, or not, but just keep the ball out of the other team's hands. You will have a top five defense that way. Okay. Todd Golden will hmm, – ah, I, I don't even like this next one, but um, I, I got to ask it. Yeah, I, I kind of have to. Um, uh, it's, it sucks. Okay. Um, Todd Golden will make the NCAA tournament in his first season if blank. The basketball gods smile in his favor. <laughs> Dustin. <laughs> if Reeves also is in the running for player of the year in the NCAA. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I laugh, but it, you know, it's possible. Um, yeah, I'll say if Florida shoots 40% from three or better, which is virtually impossible, but I mean, they, they, they don't have the horses, which is why it was a ridiculous question. But, yeah. you know, got to ask it. Um, got to at least shoot for that. Okay. Yep. Florida will overtake. And, and they will re-lap Auburn and Tennessee. And as much as they cheated, they will re-eclipse LSU in the SEC on a consistent, more-than-one-year basis, if blank. If they recruit at a high level, if they play defense at a high level, and my favorite, if they make free throw shots at a higher level, than 75% clip on average. If we can get a starting guard that can move like Chioza and we can get a power forward that can be a floor general like, I'm not sure it's exactly comparable, but somebody like Chandler Parsons that can direct what's going on in the floor effectively in somebody like Chioza that can move the ball in between screens and in between defenders. 
Okay, that's a good one. Um, I'll I'll go closer to to the vein that Dustin chose and said if if um, actually I'll just steal what he said at his press conference. If he builds a wall around the state of Florida and locks up all the best talent in Florida, it's not quite what it is in terms of producing football talent, but still a lot of talent at the universe and in the state of Florida for the University of Florida to pick up and and lock down and not let leave the state. So we we own the state of Florida in recruiting, you know, Montverde, IMG, the Jacksonville area will be good. And and we will at the very least even those those rivalries out and and put our program up to the levels that they are at. Okay. Yeah, there. Hey, there's there's talent there, man. There are some talented players there um, in, in the Trinity. Uh, I think uh, at Bowles they have some good players. Uh, yeah, definitely some talent there. Um, okay, so two more, two more. I t- I started the the lightning round by asking about Florida winning a national championship, but I mean Kevin Ollie won a national championship and did nothing else. So going to switch that question up slightly and make it more geared toward what Gator fans want. I think on the whole and say Florida will be a consistent national championship contender. If Todd golden does what? Isn't Mike white. I was looking for the particulars. Uh, isn't Mike white and is humble enough to accept the expectations that are either rightly or wrongly placed on the program by the media and fans to the point where he embraces the challenge of the job. I'm going to echo what I said earlier. You got to recruit at a high level. You have to coach at a high level and you have to demand excellence and attention to detail. There's no reason why we should be an inconsistent basketball team. We should, be, we should be winning 25, 26 games a year in the regular season, and that will give us a great shot at a, a high seed and a great opportunity in the tournament. So, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with both of those things. Um, I will add, though, I, I will make this answer different than it was for the national championship, and that is if he learns how to consistently spot and then grab the best assistant coaches that are possibly available because any, I mean, anyone can get lucky and hire the right assistants once or twice. Um, I mean, Billy Donovan say could have hired Larry Shiat, but messed up every other hire he ever made, uh, you know, never would could have gotten Shaka smart or Anthony grant and wouldn't have been the same without him. Um, while like a football, you could talk about Ed Orgeron getting Joe Brady, you know, he didn't do anything after that in terms of hiring assistants. So, consistently spotting the best assistant coaches you could possibly get out there, maybe getting former Gators, maybe just getting fellow analytics guys, getting them into the program with him, getting them to do their jobs at a high enough level that they then wind up taking head coaching jobs, which will kind of suck, but then going out and replacing them with the next one. And then when they leave to become head coaches, then getting the next one and so on and so on and so on doing that consistently We'll have Florida in a spot where they can consistently compete for national championships. All right, last one. How will we ultimately remember the Todd Golden era at Florida 50, 60, 70 years down the road? I'm going to punt on that. Um, I just, I, 
We don't have enough info. We don't have enough info on that. And it's, I understand the reason why you're asking that question. I don't know. I, you know, I think a better way maybe to ask that question is it is March 28th of 2023. How do we feel about Todd Golden at Florida versus his legacy? Okay. You know what? I like that. So I, I, I know. Good idea. Good idea. One word, one word. How do we feel about Todd Golden at Florida right now? Right now or in 2023? Okay. Okay. Both. Right now, optimistic. And the word that I hope that I will feel in 2023 is hopeful. Dustin? For I'm glad that we uh, we had changed the question because the original question um, on multiple fronts was a little uh, difficult to answer, to say the least. Um, right now, my word would be uh, hopeful. You know, not to not to steal the same sentiment as Casey, but there is hope. There is excitement. Maybe that's another word. Um, and since I'm allowed two words, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that word for uh, 2023. Um, in, in April, uh, or late March, early April of 2023, um, regardless of where we get to as far as the tournament and IT, so on and so forth, um, the word I want to use is excitement. Florida basketball needs to be exciting again. There needs to be a fire. There's a big difference between fired. So many people wanted Mike White to be fired. There needs to be a fire in Gator basketball. The O'Connell Center needs to have the same or a similar buzz that it had uh, years ago. There needs to be that excitement. Action. You you know, to steal the word of Gordon Ramsay, you know, I'm a huge Gordon Ramsay fan. I love – I love his shows and I love what he imparts on people on his shows with passion. Mike White never had the passion, right? You, you, you can even look at somebody like Will Muschamp. He almost had too much passion. But you look at somebody like Mary Wise, who is the volleyball coach, or Jenny Rowland, the, the gymnastics coach, there's passion. Mike White never had the passion on the sideline. So, You know, I would almost go back to, you know, goals for the program. I mean, just show me that you give a damn to be in the room and to be on that sideline. You know, Mike White just, he was like a flopping fish so often, you know, where I don't need somebody like Will Muschamp that's going to make, you know, a mockery of himself in the university or, you know, Jim McElwain when he yelled at Kelvin Taylor in 2015. but. Damn, just show me something. Show me something, anything, sign of life on that sideline that if there is a bad call, that you're going to get mad about it. Not mad to the point where you're going to be thrown out, but you're going to be mad enough about it to let them hear it and to let the fans know. I mean, it is so disheartening to watch a game from the O'Connell Center that it's a quarter full or to go at – to watch a game you know i went this year to watch the vanderbilt game in the o-dome and it was like god this is pathetic 
you know, that going to Dustin's point, I want to see the rowdy reptiles be rowdy. So that's, that would be something again in 2023 that the rowdy reptiles are again, rowdy. Make the rowdies rowdy again. I like that idea. Okay. Right now I am going to say birth. We are in the delivery room. The program has just been, or I, I guess, I guess reborn. The program has just has just been reborn. It is it is in its infancy stages again. Mike White has left the program with Reeves, Niles Lane, a commit or two commits, maybe a senior or two decides to come back, uh, and and no coaching staff. So it's it's a blank slate. It is a it is an infant with a world of possibilities lying ahead of it. What does Todd Golden? develop that infant into what how, how how does he raise it so to speak going on with that analogy how does he grow it and develop it so that would be my word right now mm, for 23 uh i'd probably probably echo the hope probably echo that sentiment um maybe yeah m- maybe say uh Maybe say cautiously optimistic. I know that's two words. I broke my own rule, but cautiously optimistic because the future, right this moment, is is not bright. Because again, the the people on this program right now are not very many in number. And while you know, I, I like Reeves, I like Lane, I like their games. There's just not enough there to have real reason to be hope. Now, 26, 27, oh yeah, there's there's a lot of op- optimism there. But 23, I would say cautiously optimistic. Um uh, I think that's I think that's our show, guys. Uh, any any last any last points you guys want to make or any anything else you guys want to put out there? I just want to say I, this uh, it's I, definitely I, well, great. I just want to say uh I'm available if anybody uh if anybody needs a coach on the sideline, I'm available. Aren't you in Miami? I'm everywhere you want to be. I'm like MasterCard. God, Casey thinks his Edward Drawn impression is a lot better than it really is. Yeah, well, I you just want to you, say this. You can go to hell. <laughs> See, that actually wasn't terrible. All right, Dustin, what's up, man? Yeah, so I just want to say this. Um, it's definitely great to be on a podcast with, with you guys, uh, Casey, Neil, and uh, the occasional um, Ed Orgeron uh, appearance. Very, It's very rewarding to be with you guys and, and be able to talk basketball, football, as well as other Gator sports. Um, I'm, uh, I'm glad that we avoided talking about Gator stickball on this one. Um, because there's a kind of a pause in our expectation for both softball and baseball based on what happened over the weekend. Hey, 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 hey. We just beat the damn Knowles. That's a Jimbo Fisher reference from 2015 for those who may not have understood that. Um, but yeah, Florida beat FSU 6-3 in Jacksonville Tuesday night. That that counts. That That happened. Florida's now beaten FSU 23 out of the last 28 games that they've played and, and 18 of the last 21. Uh, but yes, the, for sure, definitely some serious issues 
um, that that one stray midweek win uh, do, does not erase. But sorry, Dustin, I interrupted you. Continue. Just had to point that out. Let me surmise my, my thoughts on Gator stickballs, so Gator baseball, Gator softball. Um, it's going to be a long season. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to be a long season from a, oh, man, it's going to be a long season. We're, we're in for a long one. But I think a lot can happen in this season, and I expect both teams to improve, and I expect both teams to uh, be better um, toward the end of the season than they are right now. And uh, to echo what we were saying earlier, different context, I have hope for both teams. Um, Florida softball and Florida baseball have the talent to be really good uh, when it's all said and done. So we'll have to be patient. Hey, man, just make the tournament and anything can happen. Isn't that what the mid-major mics were saying throughout the whole season until they didn't make the tournament? But, I mean, it, it applies to baseball and softball, too. They'll make the tournament. They're not going you know, to completely fizzle out and just miss the field of 64. So, yeah, definitely irritating past weekends, but especially because they're both at home, two rivals. But, nonetheless, um, definitely a lot, lot can happen between now and – and selection Mondays, um, the month or so down the road. But yeah, guys, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We would definitely appreciate that. And well, you know, guys, it's, it's not that far away from football season. Yeah. It's not right around the corner, but by the time you guys hear this, it's going to be the first day or so of April. It's it's coming. It's it's getting kind of close. Got a spring game in a couple weeks. So just hang in there. We're we're getting there. We're making progress towards September 2nd when Utah comes to the swamp. I will be there. Um I think Dustin will be there too. I'm not sure about Casey, but uh just just keep hanging in. September 3rd. September 3rd, Neil. September 3rd. Is it September 3rd? It it is Saturday, September 3rd. September 2nd is a Friday. You are right. I am wrong. That doesn't happen often, but okay. Wow. I really right. hope this, I really hope that makes it on the pod just so the world can hear it. I'll let it. No, 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 dude. I'm, I'm wrong. Plenty. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's my thought, Dustin. <laughs> just not, not quite as often as Casey is, but um, yeah. Say good night, Debbie Downer Sherman. Good night, everybody. Go. Well, it's going to be morning when everyone hears this, but good, good day. Uh, enjoy your, enjoy your day. And uh, I mean, Casey just kind of ruined that, but um, Neil, Neil, I, I think with a new coach of a major program. Yes. I know what you're going to say. Yes. Yes. We, go ahead. Dustin. Yep. Go ahead. Go Dustin. Ahead. We need you. Do it. Yes. I'm here. And present. You know what to do, man. You know what to do. Yes. Well, it's about the. It's about darn time we have. Uh, we have a new coach, and there's uh, finally some hope. There's excitement, and it calls for a go Gators. That's kind of muted, but okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. I was going to say that. That was muted, Dustin. You want it unmuted? Uh, I, D- Dustin, let it let it fly. Do Go, Gators! There it is. One more time. Oh man, I might have to run outside for this one. One more time. Go, Gators!
<laughs> Casey, can we let that one go? Can we? Can we you know, we... you know what? It's 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 late. Okay. So yeah, we should let it go. But uh, you know, maybe when we have a next podcast and we talk about uh, uh, spring practice, we can we can yeah. we can get a uh, a madman Dustin Go Gators. Yeah, if Anthony Richardson throws like five touchdowns or six touchdowns, then I'll be running through the running through the wall. All right. Well, you know my thoughts on spring practice statistics, but uh, okay, sure. We can we can we can let we can let you lie on the pod. Neil, Neil, do not make me pull a Will Smith to Chris Rock on you. Don't make you, me do it. You tried. I'll respond a lot differently than Chris Rock did. <laughs> All right, y'all. Go Gators. Go Gators.